What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Dr. Leah Unhinged. I'm Dr. Shaw. I'm Dr. Maxfield. All right, so we have a bunch of interesting topics to jump into today. Uh, we're going to lead off um, with this uh, working out thing. Why are we going to lead out lead it with some working out thing is because I'm trying to get more healthy. Um, and so there was an article that came out from Health Site. It's a very short article, doesn't have very much any information in it at all. But basically, the concept of it is what is going to be your routine before and after working out? I think a lot of people start working out more when it gets warmer outside. And so I think this will be relevant to a lot of people. Also, I'd like to shout out that we have potentially the best skincare community in the entire world, uh, the best skincare family ever um, that, you know, follows our channels here. And I'll tell you why, Dr. Maxfield. Tell me. Um, so, <laughs> as you already know. So, I've been super tired lately. Um, I've just been running around, traveling quite a bit, working on a lot of projects behind the scene that I'm super excited about. But as a result of that, I haven't really taken much care of myself and I haven't been sleeping much and all these kinds of things. So when you see the comment sections, especially on our YouTube videos, what you find is that people are saying like, Dr. Shah, you look tired. <laughs> and the interesting thing about it is that people aren't like, Dr. Shah, you look like crap. Dr. Shah, you look awful. It's Dr. Shah, which, which is the truth, right? Is that I look, I look unhealthy. I look unwell. Uh, however, the way that they're phrasing it, which a lot of like, if you look at a lot of comment sections for people that create content is people shredding them and tearing them down. But in our comment section, what I find is that people are saying things like, you look really tired and I'm really worried about you. I hope everything is okay and that you're taking care of yourself. And even then people are like, oh, you shouldn't be pointing out that people are tired and like people are responding to those comments. But I actually think it's like super positive that they say it like that. And it's encouraged me to take better care of myself. So I, I just love our community. It's the best. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Um, I, I, we've talked about this so many times behind the scenes. And so I'm glad he brought that up so we can kind of share that with you all. But we're always, always talking about how thankful we are with you. And it is just the coolest. I feel like it's just the most gracious, positive community. I think it really is the most gracious, positive community in all of skincare, like especially in this space. Uh, it's incredible to be a part of that with you all, which is why I love doing the lives. Like it's just such great time interacting and having you kind of begin on this journey with us but also thanks for calling him out on that and encouraging him to take care of himself because you know i've been pushing him to do this for years um and i know it's like time and priorities but i'm happy to hear that he's getting back to exercising and i don't know if he'll ever get to sleep but i <laughs> know i've been sleeping so yeah no i just thank you for caring about me um and worrying about my health and you know, putting that above all else. So you all are the best and I'm just very grateful for all of you. So let's hop into this working out skincare routine thing. I'm going to lean on Dr. Maxfield for this. What are you doing before and after you work out? What are your tips? Okay. So it depends on what you're doing for exercise. Like, cause you have the one person. So for me, I do nothing when I get up and work out. You're like, why is that? So you well, get out of bed up. and you just, tretinoin's on, all the stuff is on. You just start working out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all my Got stuff it. is on from the night before. I just wake up and go work out in the garage. Like, it's dark out. It's like 4 a.m. There's no sun, so I'm not worried about that. So, you know, that there's nothing to that. I just, it is what it is. And then I start everything afterwards. The other side of it, though, on days, sometimes I go out running in the middle of the day. Or sometimes I go on beach surfing, exercise. There is that, then that, this side is where it actually matters more. So, it basically is you're going to be exercising and you're going to be outside while you do it. And I think this is actually very, very difficult because... 
sunscreens can be irritating. I actually went out of my way and I bought as many, if not all of the waterproof, water resistant sunscreens, Korean sunscreens out there to see if they would be any better mm-hmm. because it's a well-known fact for anyone who runs or is outside exercising and uses sunscreen, it's irritating. It can burn your eyes. It stings when it gets in your eyes. And that really talking to a lot of athletes, even a couple of NFL athletes, this is actually one of the main reasons athletes don't wear sunscreen outside. It irritates their eyes and that's not functional. But anyway, these Korean sunscreens, they weren't a lot better. They basically were a zinc oxide or titanium base plus a Korean chemical filter. So they were all hybrids. I did find that they were less irritating. The problem with those is that they don't really quantify the amount of time that they're actually water resistant and the verbiage is very nonspecific. But they also, some of them are very casty. So they really didn't live with that very elegant Korean sun's care. Now, the basics of taking care of your skin before you exercise really just focuses on sun protection, in my opinion, because you're going to be putting your skin through a lot when you're exercising. You're going to be sweating. Things are going to get wiped off. Really, you're not going for anything anti-aging at this point. And so my tips would be a mineral sunscreen. I I feel like zinc is a bit less irritating. That's purely anecdote. I don't think there's any studies on that. But using a zinc-based sunscreen, making sure it's water-resistant. And then I have had this novel idea, and I haven't had... It's not novel. I'm sure millions of people do. Which sunscreen did you find was best? That's a good question. So it depends on how casty you're willing to go. The uh, Neutrogena... What is that one? The sheer zinc that I always talk about for years. It's very casty. It's pretty simple and minimally irritating. I do actually think the Think Sport... I've mentioned this a million times now. The Think Sport tinted sunscreen specifically. It's a body and face one. It's also mineral. And it blends pretty well. Blends really well, actually. Plus, it's minimally irritating. I've really had very little problems with that one. The chemical sunscreens, um, the La Roche-Posay and Helios lines or mineral, mineral liquid one, the tinted one, that's also really easy to apply. It actually is pretty minimally irritating as well. Problem is with that one, I think the water resistant is uh, 40 minutes. So if you're mm-hmm. going to be out for a while, like for me surfing, I have to come back in pretty uh, like before I would with anything else. It's like not that water resistant. So those three have been good options for me. And what is uh, your novel idea? So here's a novel idea. So, well, sunscreen, so sunscreen sticks are a controversial thing. I know they are. I think functionally, Wait, why they, they actually, con- why are they controversial? Well, there is a video. So, I mean, I mean, anyone go look this up and it's usually lab muffin who looks and critiques the, uh, efficacy of things. And so she took sunscreen stick and then she used one of those UV filters and basically showed that it took uh, in prohibitive, insane amount of swipes, uh, infinitely more than the directions told to actually uh, get adequate coverage. Got and it. then she called out the AAD and was like, oh, hey, the AAD even says this. I don't know where they got the recommendations. And so that's tough for people to balance. It's like, you know, a cosmetic mm. chemist is saying it's a problem. But most, I mean, all of these products do have testing that they're undergoing before they get their SPF mm-hmm. label. So, I mean... I do still think that they're valuable. I do think that they can be used on top of sunscreen or they can be used as a sunscreen. I actually do like them. But they also seem to stick better. They hold better. So they're not as irritating. They're less likely to run into your eyes. But then mm-hmm. the setting sprays. So the setting spray sunscreens, like the one I got from Supergoop. Supergoop sent me this so I could save my MAs from Bonnaroo and the sun there. But uh, you, maybe you use this on top of your normal sunscreen. And I know no one likes the idea of combining sunscreens is bad. That's a bad thing. Bad, bad, bad. But but maybe if you use this on top of your sunscreen, maybe mm. it won't let it run as much and irritate into your irritate your eyes. I'm going to try this anecdotally uh, for about a couple of weeks before I weigh in officially on this. But it would be nice if you could let that set. Another thing is just making sure your sunscreen does set before you actually exercise and sweat. That's probably the number one mistake I see people make in real life is you get to the field, 
you get to the beach, you put on your sunscreen and immediately you're at it. So you really need to let that sunscreen set on your skin. I'd, I'd say at least 10 minutes really to just set and then it won't rub off, wash off as easy and get in your eyes. Got it. Okay. So a lot of interesting things there. So one sunscreen sticks, I'm actually a big proponent of sunscreen sticks, but not for like the first layer necessarily. I think the first layer needs to be done right. And then after that, um, you use a sunscreen stick. A lot of times for me, like I use it in my T zone just because that area for some reason, like I always end up getting like either burned there or just getting the most sun exposure in that T zone. Um, and so I use it to like reapply in that area and it's just not messy at all, which I like. Mm -hmm. One of the main issues that I have with reapplying sunscreen at the beach is that your hands already have sand on them and then you're like actually rubbing sand into your face. And so what I've liked about the sunscreen sticks free application is that you don't have to actually touch the product at all and you're able to blend it in. And so I've liked that quite a bit. And I think the sunscreen sprays are actually really nice for reapplication as well. And yeah, like you're not going to get probably the two milligrams per milliliter per square centimeter, you know, that you need for adequate sun protection with both the stick or the spray, but it's better than nothing. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, if you have that good base layer of sunscreen, you probably the, in the first application of the day is applied correctly, then you're probably going to be okay. And I think it goes back to that, like simplicity over complexity thing that we always emphasize. And, you know, as long as you're using it correctly, but I always appreciate a good debunking from lab muffin so um well, okay wait, let good. me tell you about the sprays here okay I have, to, I have to weigh in on the spray thing so i am no longer i i'm very skeptical of the sprays and here's my anecdotal reason why um we'll call out my ma's and nurses here three of them three out of the five came in last week roasted and so for those locally in north carolina we probably had the first sunny weekend we've had in three months hmm. every patient all my staff came in burnt now, one unique feature about all of them, because they work at a dermatology office, they do actually care. And the patients too, sun, they all, all of them used a spray, a spray sunscreen. And it, but like Dr. Shaw said, they were using it as their initial layer. So I like the spray perhaps as reapplication. Spray in the, f they, they, they got burned in the face or the body? Both. Okay. They had drippy lines. Because like, you could tell when they did when when they didn't rub it in, where they didn't rub it in, or where they missed. It was just super uneven application, and they had drippy, protected lines from where the sunscreen spray had like run down. Ooh. But then, just lines of sunburn all over their face, their bodies, their scalps. You got to rub it in. I mean, that's that's <laughs> like even on the packaging, which like makes you sort of wonder what the utility sometimes is of the sprays if you're rubbing them in anyway. But regardless, I mean, it makes it easy, especially for kids to apply. So, mm -hmm. you know, what I like about the sprays is just the functionality of them. Yes. But I think you still need to apply an adequate layer and you also need to rub it in. And I think that's probably one of the issues that people have with sprays is that they're just not applying them like they would with a regular sunscreen in general. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think probably the efficacy is still there because like you said, these are all like FDA tested for their sun protection levels. So it's not like you know, they don't provide the sun protection that they claim to provide. It's just that they're not being applied the way that they should be applied. Agreed. Yep, exactly. I'm with you. That's it. 100%. All right. So, okay, last, so you said basically sunscreen and then what about afterwards? Because that's the main thing with working out is what do you do afterwards after you've worked out mm -hmm. to have a good, have good, have good skin? This is the, I think the hardest part. Um, I think the other parts, actually the easy step, even the most athletes probably forego it. The hardest part is, and the reason it's the hardest part is after you're done working out, usually it's kind of in the middle of the day. Like most people are working out middle of the day, maybe after work, 
And then the question is, do you redo your whole skincare routine like at 12 p.m.? Or do you redo mm. your whole skincare routine in the middle of the day? Um, and that's a, kind of an unanswerable question. The, I would say no. I think you still stick with your morning and night foundations. But people are like, well, you've just sweated off and washed off everything you did in the morning. I completely think that is, um, what's that? Not a straw man argument, but an argument that doesn't hold any ground. Because at that point, if your ingredients haven't absorbed into your skin over like the four or five hours of the morning, they're probably not going to be doing anything. Like, are we do absorb the ingredients in our skin. So I think they've had enough time to work. And so I think that after workout skincare, especially if it's in the middle of the day, can be pretty simple. I think the most important thing is to wash your face. And with what? It's different for everyone. So if you've used a sunscreen, I like cleansing balms. I love my cellar water. I like cleansing balms for sensitive dry skin, my cellular water for hot, humid, or oily skin, and then a uh, normal cleanse or gentle cleanse after that. A lot of people will leave those on. I know that my cellular water in particular is supposedly it will be left on. Cleansing balms can be left on, but I do think after working out, you should probably wash it off and then a gentle cleanser afterwards. So you're double cleansing. So you're recommending a double cleanse after working out. I would to be perfect. Like that would be optimal. However, because you have a waterproof sunscreen on or like what if you're just exercising indoor? Yeah, well, that's different. So that was all based off of the idea that you have sunscreen on and that's what you're getting off. If you're just working out inside. Yeah, I think a simple cleanse, a gentle cleanser would be the best thing because the, the goal is to not strip your skin but to remove the gunk sweat or cakey watery waterproof sunscreen you've got on like you do have to i feel like you do have to get that off because we see it all the time in the office um athletes you know they don't have a chance to clean after exercise and they get pretty substantial acne especially in areas where they might be wearing a helmet acne mechanica is a very 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 real thing where acne is caused by whether oils or bacteria but from equipment or clothing that's on that acne prone skin Okay. So to keep it real simple, after you exercise, if you are out in, if you're wearing like a waterproof sunscreen, then use a double cleanse, cleansing balm, micellar water, oil cleanser, followed by a, you know, water-based cleanser, and then follow that with probably just moisturizer sunscreen again. And then if you are just working out inside, just a simple single cleanser, gentle, followed by your moisturizer sunscreen again. And that should be all you need to do after you work out. Now, also, like I think washing your body afterwards is really important. If you get back acne, that's a really important tip, you know, changing mm -hmm. your like taking whatever you were working out in that's all sweaty and wet and you know, taking that off, changing your outfit, showering briefly, quick shower, two, three minutes. And that's probably all that you need. So definitely no need for complexity. I agree with you. You don't need to reapply like your antioxidants or whatever else you were applying in your morning routine. And the reason why is because they do deposit in the stratum corneum like you mentioned and then start to actually distribute that from the stratum corneum to the other layers of the skin and so it, it, it like you know just because you apply like that's why you know we've we have some data on short contact therapy with retinoids where you're like applying a retinoid for a short period of time and then removing it and then it's still having that same benefits and the reason why is because there's that deposition into the stratum corneum and absorption into the skin where you're going to have that efficacy despite the fact that it's not sitting on your skin all day and so um i wouldn't you know waste your money reapplying your entire skincare routine just moisturizer cleanser and moisturizer sunscreen and you should be should be good to go that's how i would think yeah. And the one hack for those with acne prone skin, because I feel like this is the group of people who really, really struggles. Um, I do love the hypochlorous acid. Uh, we've talked about mm. this before. It, it really is a great way you can do a gentle cleanse and this is a leave on. So then you can even follow it with a hypochlorous acid spray on your skin. Super gentle pH balance smells like chlorine a little bit, but it can help prevent 
bacteria from being on your skin, bacterial growth. And I'd also highly recommend you spray any equipment with that stuff too before you're using it. So that's, that's like yeah, one that's, hack. That's an amazing hack, actually. Hypochlorous acid in, in a bind. Um, mm-hmm. Incredible <laughs> disinfectant powers and um, very, very gentle on the skin. So um, I'm with you on that one. Let's jump into the next topic, which is uh, news coming out of UPI.com. This is that world news. Korean cosmetic firm to use genetic testing to customize your skincare routine. So there is a company called My Skin DNA uh, that's going to be working in conjunction with Lab Genomics, a Korean healthcare company, to basically direct from consumer genetic testing. So basically, what they'll do is you will send they will send you a gene test kit, which costs about seventy seven dollars. You will swab the inside of your cheek and put the results in a tube, send it to lab genomics. They will test you for 11 genes related to skin aging, acne, pigmentary deposition, and then other characteristics such as diet, obesity, um, and then basically come up with Mm. a skincare routine for you based on this data analysis. Now, this company is going to be under the Amor Pacific group of brands. Um, which is a very robust portfolio of brands. Um, a lot of the Korean brands that you know and love come from a more Pacific. So this isn't like a startup in the sense of like, you know, oh, this is just some rogue brand that's doing this. This is a, a kind of true player in the field. So they also own Innisfree. They also own Solwasu. They also own Laneige. They own Austra, which is like a sensitive skincare brand from Korea, like kind of like the CeraVe of Korea. Then you have Iliyun as well that they own. So there's and, and, and many more brands. And so Amor Pacific is a major player in the skincare game. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, I think it's pretty interesting because it's a trend we're going to see more and more. And it's actually following a trend in medicine. So in medicine, especially in the setting of cancer and skin cancer, uh, not skin cancer, just cancers in general, we are getting to the point where isolating genetics of every individual's cancer. You see this with like the Castle bioscience test for melanomas or advanced squamous cell carcinomas. And then the question is, can you tailor therapy towards that? So just extrapolate that whole idea into now the cosmetic space over the counter. And it's a similar thought where if you can get a person's individual genetics, DNA, tailor it towards their skin concerns, then it would not only, it'd be extremely highly personalized. You would assume it could be extremely efficacious and extremely individualized. Now, now this is, this is taking what we're already seeing to a whole nother level. I was just a part of, uh, or a foundational part of pros custom skincare line. If you're familiar with pros, they have a custom hair care line that's really been thriving. Uh, they're kind of, they don't like when I use the word obsessive, but they're kind of like very obsessive about their formulation. Like if they have the most, from what I understand, they have the most complex algorithm most questionnaire and the heart of it that they're trying to get to is like what are your skin types your skin concerns your lifestyle your diet etc 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 and then building products and adjusting some of the other active ingredients textural things that you like towards your skin i like the idea because i think it's going to help with um compliance as well as make everything unique which i do think personalized deliberate skincare is like the win now, I don't know. It's just like, how far can they take this with genetics? Because you do lose some of the subjective portion where like, oh, I like gels versus textures versus fragrance, not fragrance. Um, I do think it's pretty promising, though. I'm not going to lie. I, I kind of like the idea. 
So let's let's think about this from like a utility standpoint. I think that you have to think of it as first, if you talk about the genetic testing, when you think about melanoma and squamous cell skin cancers, there's always this question to me, you know, when I order these, these tests of the utility of the results, just because you know that information, does it change what you will do clinically? And many times the answer is no, right? So you're almost gathering data for the sake of gathering data. Uh, this is high risk. This is low risk. Now that it's high risk, we're not going to do anything differently other than be more worried potentially. And if it's low risk, you know, it gives us some reassurance, but it doesn't change potentially the clinical guidelines of what you would do next, right? And so my sort of thought is the same thing with this genetic testing. And of course, data is the gateway to then developing treat treatments, right? Like, so once you have data, you can do things about it, right? So, you know, when, once Castle gathers all this data and then they say, well, people that had these genetic markers responded better to this treatment, then there's utility there, right? Whereas if you're just gathering data and that data doesn't lead to like a next step, it's not as helpful. So in this process with Amore Pacific and this brand specifically, I think the initial part of it will be data gathering in the sense that like these people have these genetic markers, so we're going to recommend them this thing. But until they start using it and we start seeing those results of them using those particular ingredients that they're going to target towards the consumer with those genetic markers, we won't really know the validity of the genetic markers and whether or not the skincare ingredients are actually benefiting those. And so I think as the data set gets larger and ro more robust and the treatments and the results of those treatments get larger and more robust, then this could have true clinical utility. But in the fact finding and gathering data stage, I don't think it's as useful. There was a brand in the US, it was called, um, Atola Skin Labs, um, and I think this was this was founded by a dermatologist. And I, you basically like would swab your cheek, and then, uh, but it wasn't like that. Your genetic testing, they would like swab your cheek, and then they would send it to a lab, and um, and then they would give you a customized skincare routine uh, based on what they found there. And they used some really great ingredients. That company was bought, I think, by Function of Beauty, and I don't think that they're marketing it anymore after the acquisition. I could look more details into that, but there have been many people that have tried this idea of either sending a hair strand or sending a swab of the skin or a swab of the cheek and then making a customized routine. The biggest error I see with this that is we're assuming that everything that is happening is static, right? So if you get this genetic test and then you apply these ingredients, now your skin has changed, right? And so now we have, but your genetics has not changed. And so therefore, like what what did this initiation of therapy do to your skin microbiome? What did it do to this quality of your skin such that then you have to now change your routine, right? And also like what environmental factors are at play? What is the humidity where you live? What is the pollution levels? Mm -hmm. We're getting all this pollution coming from the fires um, out of Canada, right? So our air quality is super low right now. Does that affect like this genetic testing that we're doing and does it change the routine that you should be using? And so I think that there are too many factors and the skin is too dynamic in my mind for this to really have any benefit over just, you know, having knowledge about skincare and using what you think is going to be best for you. I don't know. So I think your point is completely correct in that this is an interesting idea 
but there are a limitless number of factors and validation tests that have to be done to show that this will be beneficial because even if you do have the genetics identified it's is there a treatment that can accommodate that specific treatment i actually think in over-the-counter cosmetics that's going to be a hard thing to hit because while we do have clear dna markers for something like melanoma where we actually have immunotherapy or genetic therapy or chemotherapy based off of like a braf mutation right so we have somewhere to go with that but in the over-the-counter space with this you know i actually i agree i'm not we do know a lot of mutations associated with things like eczema, sensitive skin, rosacea. We know what the signaling molecules are as doctors. But it's like, how do you target and adjust based off of that? I agree with you wholeheartedly. Actually, let me give one more possible downside to this. I want to call out Everly Well here. So this is another, I used to see commercials for this all the time, but it's gone now. But this is something where you take a cheek swab. I think it was a cheek swab, but similar thing. You're collecting your information. This one may not have been going after DNA, but I think it was using Ig. Ig immunoglobulins, basically an arm of your anti your uh, immune system, and what it would label it would it would show you like okay you have antibodies to this, and it would be basically food and environmental exposures like cashews, nuts, bananas, cockroaches, whatever. And they used very specific verbiage that I feel like only I as a doctor could catch on to. They would say their conclusion was that if you had antibodies to something, you therefore had a food sensitivity. Now, sensitivity is not a good regulated word, and that's why they chose it. And because you had that sensitivity, that could be causing your fatigue, tiredness, confusion, like sluggishness, like whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And that's the missing step there. It, it, you can we have a, we we have the technology to confirm or like get a ton of different. Uh, we just have the technology yeah. to get a ton of different data, and then how do you use it? And that's an inaccuracy. Like they they missed mm. a step. It's like one plus two equals whatever you want it to be. And I just think that that's a dangerous part of information collection, genetic collection, and then advertising because you can market it with right. poor physiology. Yeah. And I, and I think you see this a lot of times in the more wellness space. A lot of times, you know, not every chiropractor, but many chiropractors selling kits of, you know, stool testing or something like this that is going to tell you what's wrong with your gut microbiome and how you should adjust your diet as a result of that. And a lot of these things have not been clinically validated. Um, the downfall of this is, well, great, you're getting more information. And a lot of people want to reject Western medicine. And I totally understand that because, you know, a lot of a lot of the things that have happened in pharma and otherwise doctors otherwise have, you know, led to the distrust of physicians in general and the medical complex in general, which I totally understand. But there are so many good doctors out there that you can trust. And so um, we try to <laughs> we try to like portray that message. But that being said, the the chiropractor world or the wellness world, and this is definitely not true of every chiropractor, so I'm definitely generalizing here. But I've seen this more in chiropractors than in other spaces. But you see this in physicians as well that focus more or naturopaths as well and and and, and doctors that focus more on wellness that say that okay, if you do this genet if you do this genetic testing or if you do this stool testing or if you do this microbiome testing and it tells you that like these levels or you know your magnesium is off and all this kind of stuff. And what ends up happening with these types of people is that instead of actually trying to get better, they focus so much on these things that are not clinically validated and they spend so much money on these testings and these different supplements and these different medications that are not validated. 
And then maybe something else that's bigger is missed. Maybe you have thyroid dysfunction. Maybe you have some type of malignancy that's missed because you're so focused on these other things that are not actually the core root of your problem. And so there are so many times where you know, you're just focused on the wrong thing because the data that you've been given is leading you down the wrong road. And I think that that's one of the risks of gathering more data is that you, it can send you down the wrong path because the data is not actually important to what your main issue is. Yeah, I think it's fair. I like multiple, this is the world I grew up in, right? So for those of you, I don't say it a whole lot, but I grew up in the naturopathic holistic space. Um, and the through that like my just one anecdotal story i had neck pain i had severe headaches i had excruciating pain with exposure to light and i'd seen the chiropractor for a week or two and they kept cracking my neck over and over and over and over and over and because i had a stiff neck you know and it got to the point where i eventually went to the er and it was meningitis and that's like a that's like a very basic medical diagnosis it's like as classic as can be and so that was actually something that launched me into my medical career is i was like oh wow the diagnosis is so important physiology is so important it has to be reproducible and so you know i think there's definitely a lot of validity there there's a huge plus side to that side of medicine i think it complements western medicine i think western eastern medicine holistic medicine all this should complement each other and it should all be based off of reproducible physiology and science and data. And um, that's where I live. I think there's definitely value. There's definitely think pros and cons to Western medicine, pros and cons to every side of medicine. And I just would like to see it live in more in harmony. But that's one day, one day. Yeah. And I think that that's a real life experience, which is a terrifying experience that you have always shared with me and has always stuck with me. And so I think it's important for people to know that, you know, there's there's a world where these things exist in harmony, but there's they both have to exist together. They can't, yep. you can't live with them in just silos of each other. So, um, so that's, uh, so I think I'm just, I'm excited to learn about it, but I think, uh, I think I'm always apprehensive of things like this. So, um, okay. So I think that pretty much wraps, um, what we wanted to talk about today, a pretty short podcast. I'm going to be doing a little bit of traveling, uh, going to the world Congress of dermatology, which is in Singapore this year. So I've never been on that side of the world. So I'm pretty excited about it. So you'll hear some updates from me on my other social media platforms. But again, how we entered this, thank you all so much for your support. And thank you for genuinely caring about me. I genuinely care about all of you. And so, um, thank you for just being so po so kind and positive. Yeah, we appreciate you. Thank you all for being a part of this. We love it.